Genesis chapter 48. And uh, don't forget your outline there if you would like to uh, have that. They have the rostrum inside the door now that has those. And uh, nothing is unusual this morning other than the two points I've already mentioned. We have lots of ground to cover, so I'd like to get us moving. And if you find Genesis 48, we'll, uh, I think what we'll do is um, we're covering a little bit more ground than this. But let me go ahead and read the, this chapter in its entirety now, and we'll deal with the rest of it as we go along. All right, Genesis chapter 48, verse 1. After this, Joseph was told, behold, let me back you up. Sorry about that. I meant to do this. Verse 29 of chapter 47. And when the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph. So that's kind of the backdrop of, of where we are in chapter 48. Joseph, or Jacob, senses that his death is imminent. There are some things that he needs to take care of and desires to take care of. And that commences now the story of that in chapter 48. After this, Joseph was told, Behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, and it was told to Jacob, Your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz. And that's the old name, if you'll recall, for Bethel. All right, so God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make of you a company of peoples, and I will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. Just remember, when he says that, he's in Egypt, and he's talking about Canaan. Verse 5, And now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine, as Reuben and Simeon are. And the children that you fathered, or that you father after them, shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. As for me, when I came from Paden, to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way, where we were still some distance to go to Ephrath. And I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, who are these? Why he says that is going to be explained in a minute, so hold on. Joseph said to his father, these, they are my sons whom God has given me here. And he said, bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now, here's your explanation. The eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he could not see. So Joseph brought them near him, and he kissed, uh, he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face, and behold, God has let me see your offspring also. Then Joseph removed them from his knees, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them forth, Ephraim in his right hand toward Israel's left hand and Manasseh in his left hand towards Israel's right hand, and brought them near him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim. So to do this, he crossed over. Try to follow that and hear what's going on. Who was the younger and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been with, 
has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys, and in them let my name be carried on, and the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, he's the younger, it displeased him, and he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not this way, my father, since this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people. And he also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day. And here's the blessing, saying, By you Israel will pronounce blessings, saying, God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again into the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given you, rather than to your brothers, one mountain slope, or the alternate translation of this is portion, that I took from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and with my bow. Let's stop our reading here because I'm afraid if I read on into chapter 49, uh, again, we'll lose our conversance with the details, and I want them to be clear in your mind. But let's do this, always important. Let's stop for a word of prayer as we begin. Our Father, thank you for this Lord's Day that you've brought us to, and it's not without some to do that we have to get ready and be here like this on a day like today where uh, we have to adjust to the new time, we have to make provision for the rain. But thank you, Father, that uh, you bless us when we honor your day. And for every person that found it important and was able to be here at this time for ABF, whether in this class or in either of the other two or any of the younger classes, Lord, would you bless every teacher, would you bless every student, and may, may each of us go away with something that you've communicated to us today that uh, we will have at the end of Sunday school, at the end of our worship services, we'll be thinking to ourselves, it has been good to be in the house of the Lord. And so this is our prayer. We want the Word of God to find lodging in our hearts and lives. Would you help me, Lord, this morning? Would you cleanse me from sin? Would you give me a fresh sense and unction from your spirit to be able to say those things that need to be said, to say them in a warm, practical, helpful style? And may each person, Lord, sense the ministry of the Holy Spirit, for we pray these things in Jesus' holy and wonderful name. Amen. Well, let me say this to you. When we come to the end of Genesis like this, you have to kind of understand that although our study is the life of Joseph, there's more going on in the book of Genesis. And so predominantly in the end of those chapters, since chapter 37 and on through the end of the book, it really is the story of Joseph. But at the same point, you have Joseph or Jacob at this point, his life is winding down. And so don't think it's strange that we have some chapters in which Jacob kind of predominates just a bit. Joseph is definitely there. I mean, it's not like Joseph is not there. But at this point in the story, especially with the death of Jacob approaching, 
He's sort of the predominant character, and we've seen that throughout chapter 46. It started there, which was predominantly the record of his move to Canaan, to, to Egypt from Canaan. And we're seeing that kind of continue now. So since our study is not so much in just the book of Genesis as a whole, but we're looking at the life of Joseph in particular, I've been trying to concentrate and, and look at exactly what is for us, even though in these chapters Jacob is kind of really the, the lead figure. And I'll tell you something, here's what I think is for us. If you're looking for a theme in this material that we're looking at today, beginning in chapter 48 and on through chapter 49, and you're looking at it as it would pertain to Joseph and even in a broader sense to the, other, to the others of his brothers, then I think what you find is blessing. Look at a couple of select verses here, not verse 1, I put it there just to sort of give us a, a flavor, but drop down to verse 9. I'd like you to see this. Joseph said to his father, these are my sons whom God has given me, and he said, bring them to me that I may, what's that? Bless them. Do you see that? Drop down to verse 15, and he blessed Joseph. So see, there is a sense in which Joseph is being blessed, and then there is a particular sense uh, that there's a blessing for his two sons, but the, the, the predominant thing is really the blessing of Joseph. Let's go a little further into this. Uh, look at verse number 20. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will pronounce blessings, saying, God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. So this is really kind of interesting because it's telling us about a particular benediction or blessing that would become prominent in Israel if you wanted to, to bless someone, and it would, it would actually be done in the name of Ephraim and Manasseh. So that's a really kind of an interesting facet to this, and that's what we're seeing. And then, of course, once you get to chapter 49, verse 22, chapter 49, folks, is the record of Joseph's last blessing or as he speaks to his sons from his deathbed. But you can call this a blessing, the whole thing, you can call it a blessing, and you really won't be too wide of the mark, but it's a whole lot more than that because it's really a character assessment. Jacob goes through, assesses the character of each of his sons, and then indicates accordingly. Look at verse number one. He says, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you what shall happen to you in days to come. Well, that's going to, what is going to happen to you in days to come is a play out of what character has been in their lives. In Joseph's case, it is distinctly blessing. So that was the point. Look at verse 22. Joseph is a fruitful bough. And running all the way down through the end of chapter 49, verse 27, it's a distinct, lavish, if I may use that word, blessing, which is pronounced upon Joseph. So what I want to do today is, since that's really what's going on here, I want you to think of it this way. What we have here is a father's blessing on his son. And I want us to think in the broader sense of our father's blessings on us. And I'm not so much thinking about our earthly father, but I'm thinking about our Heavenly Father, and I want to play off of this theme and make some applications that I think 
will be uh, helpful, I, at least I certainly hope they will, they have been to me. First observation, blessings are not guaranteed. You know, just because you're one of Jacob's 12 sons doesn't necessarily mean you inherit certain blessings. And that's a principle that we see through the Bible. Blessings are not guaranteed. No matter what your spiritual privilege, no matter what your spiritual standing, you can't afford to live carelessly as if God was just going to shower blessings on you indiscriminately and with no reference to the way you live. And that's what we're going to see here in this. But let's start with something else that's a little bit more interesting, maybe on the human level. And I'm I'm just trying to get you into this. I'd like to put you in this scene. Now, we're not in the scene of chapter 49 yet. We're in the scene of chapter 48. And this is sort of a, a private audience, as it were. Joseph has gone to see his father. He brings along with him his two boys, Manasseh the older, Ephraim the younger. And I'm sure in the back of his mind, he brings them because he wants that last contact with their grandfather. But he may also have in the back of his mind that his father may have some blessing to give them as well. And indeed, it turns out to be that way. But can you imagine, especially if nothing had been said heretofore about what's going to happen? And I can't rule out that it didn't, but at the same point, there's absolutely nothing in the record that indicates that. I just want you to have your mind in gear. You're a father, you come with your two boys. Now, let's think about this for a moment. How old are these boys? Well, let's just say they're 20. I mean, that's roughly about the time frame that we're looking at. Here's here's how we get that. It was the second year of famine, roughly speaking, when they moved to Egypt. Is that right? And so that puts Jacob in Egypt at that point, and Jacob had 17 years. So if he's at his point of death, and you put two or three plus 17, these these boys are, Manasseh may be 20, he might be 21, Ephraim might be 18, 19, but that's where they are. They're, They're essentially young adults, very late teens if not young adults. He brings these boys, and he just wants them to be in on this with their grandfather and hopes that there may be some blessing for them. And all of a sudden, Jacob, out of seemingly the blue, makes this pronouncement or announcement, however you want to look at it. We drop down to verse um, 5. Look what he says. And now your two sons. See, this is before the later scene that we read about in the chapter where... He says, who are these? He's not yet focused on these two boys. He's talking exclusively to Joseph. And look what he announces to him. And now your two sons, think about it that way, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. I just want that to sink in for a moment. Can you imagine his surprise? I mean, you go to visit your father and all of a sudden he announces, I'm adopting your sons. What if you're Ephraim and Manasseh? What if you're 19 or 20 years old and you've grown up in a household in which there's obvious power and glory? You know, Moses had to contend with this. You want to think about Moses, 
He grew up in Pharaoh's household. Some commentators even think that he was potentially in, in the position of a possible heir. But what does the book of Hebrews tell us about what Moses? Moses looked at all those things and esteemed the reproaches of Christ greater reward than the riches of Egypt, right? You remember reading that in Hebrews chapter 11? Because he had respect under the recompense of the reward. And I think that even though this isn't really on the track of our lesson, it's too good to pass up. I think when you, when you look at this, even though it's a bit of an argument from silence, the fact that there's no hint of objection, none, none, from, none from Joseph, none from these boys. They, you can imagine these boys, I mean, we really aren't told a lot of things about their spiritual education or even their spiritual condition at this point. And if those guys were kind of thinking, hey, you know, we're hot stuff here. We're the son of the prime minister. And all of a sudden it's announced to you, well, it's not quite going to go that way. You know, you're actually going to have your heritage with the people of God, and the things that are going to really matter in life are the things of the Abrahamic covenant and the things of Israel. You're not going to be Egyptians. You're going to be Israelites. So it, this is really a neat scene, and the fact that nobody says anything by way of any objection, and you say, well, they're just being polite. Well, in verse 17, look at that. When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him, and he said something. It's not like Joseph is some wallflower who's incapable of speaking up if something is a little out of kilter to him. And I think, folks, what this says to us is that it says something about the spiritual upbringing in that home, and it says something about the spiritual values that they had that they didn't balk at this at all because that's where their heart and mind already is. And would to God we see that reproduced in our children, that their values are spiritual values, that they want spiritual things, that they don't hunger after the things of this world. Well, that's what's going on. So when he says this, there's no objection to it, whatever. And, but why is he adopting them and what's really going on here? Because he says, he mentions two specific names. At the end of verse 5, he says, Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine, as Reuben and Simeon are. Well, what's going on? Because what this really means is, is that Ephraim, Joseph is going to receive what Reuben should have received as the firstborn. He's going to get the double portion. Two boys, right? Two boys, two portions. It's the double portion. What's wrong with Reuben? What happened to Reuben? Why isn't Reuben getting this? Well, you might remember, we've seen this before. So at this point now, let's go beyond this. Jacob has clear reasons, and it's all developed in the next chapter. Reuben lost that privilege. He forfeited that privilege. That's what we're talking about. Blessings are not guaranteed. Reuben lost the privileges of the firstborn. Why did that, or how did that happen? Because he was immoral, grievously so. We're told this in chapter 35, verse 22, where he actually went to his father's concubine, if that's the, the word you want to use, and was intimate with her. And so when we read what Jacob, since Reuben is the firstborn, as Jacob is dealing with him first in chapter 49. Look at what he says. 
Reuben, you are my firstborn. And to read verse 3, I mean, this thing is just stacking up and you're thinking to yourself, wow, this is just going to be, you know, this is, uh, the, the things he says about Reuben, they just keep building in terms of, of, of grandeur. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and the first fruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. And boom, I mean, you get to verse number four, and it's like it completely collapses. All this buildup of verse three, and you get to verse four, unstable as water. And did you ever wonder what that really means? And you can use it physically of water, but... In many contexts, it's used with a moral overtone. And when it's used with a moral overtone, as it is here, because Reuben isn't water. He's like water. He's unstable like water. I want you just to think about this. Ever had this experience? You put a, a saucepan on the stove, and you know it's not totally full, but relatively close to being full. And maybe you get a little too much heat on the thing, and you go off to do something else and get distracted. The first thing you know, you all this noise because it's, what's it do? It's boiling over. It's gushing over on the stove, and it's coming down there on that hot burner, and it's hissing and steaming and burning and all this kind of foolishness. Well, this is the way that word is used of water. It's used of like water when it's overheated and gurgles over. The point being that when it has a moral overtone, it speaks of a lack of control. If you don't keep water corralled, what happens to it? Right? It gushes. It goes. It takes the path of least resistance. And, and so that's the overtone of this when this is applied to Reuben. And by the way, we need to move off this particular slide, but there you have that confirmatory verse in 1 Chronicles chapter 5. The sons of Reuben, the firstborn, for he was the firstborn, but because he defiled his father's couch, his birthright was given to the sons, plural, Ephraim and Manasseh, of Joseph, the son of Israel, so that he could not be enrolled as the oldest son. He forfeited it. Let's keep looking. You have these phrases, and as I say, they suddenly collapse. And if you look at verse number 3, it ends with talking about preeminence. It says preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. And then the next phrase, after unstable as water, you shall not have preeminence. And if you're looking at the King James, it, it uses the word excel. He calls him excellence in verse 3, and then he says in verse 4, you will not excel. He lost what was, what was his. So unstable water, and there's a verse for you there, the beginning of strife is like letting out water. So quit before the quarrel breaks out, Proverbs 17, 14. So that's what happens to him. This is, this is what you might call a sin of the flesh. He doesn't control himself. He, this is a character flaw in his life. And as we see his involvement in the story of Joseph, he's not an altar. It kind of shows up some even there when the brothers are ready to kill Joseph and all that. And instead of taking an absolute stand as the firstborn, he's sort of wishy-washy and tries to placate them. So what about Simeon? What happened to him? We've seen Simeon come up some in the story, too. 
What's his situation? Cruelty. Let's read about him. Well, I should finish the verse on Reuben because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. And look at the blunt assessment that he spews out right in the presence of all the rest of them. It's almost like even at this late date, as long as this is after the fact, he recoils from it when he has to talk about it. He says, he went up to my couch. Now, Simeon. Simeon and Levi are brothers. What's that mean? Well, it means more than just that they're brothers. It means they're confederate. They were together in this thing. What did they do? They were the two that masterminded this deal. You remember back in Genesis chapter 30, uh, is it three or four? It's four. Genesis chapter 34, I have the verse for you there, verse 25, in your notes. But this is when Dinah, uh, Leah's daughter, got into problems, and the, that young man, Shechem, she went out to see the daughters of the land, you remember this, and the young man, Shechem, overpowered her and was intimate with her and then wanted to marry her. And the Bible tells us Joseph or Jacob held his peace until his sons came in at the end of the day. These two guys were the ones that hatched the plot to devastate that city. They sold them, you remember, they sold them that bill of goods that they would allow Dinah to be married to their son, but since the men in the city were uncircumcised, they'd all have to be circumcised. And they went in there and sold that deal, you know, Shechem, Hamor, Shechem's father, went in and said, hey, you know, this is, this is not a bad deal. All we have to do is everyone submit to circumcision, and their cattle will be our cattle, their daughters will be our daughters, we'll intermarry, everything will be good. The whole plan, as you recall, was after they submitted to that and they were virtually incapacitated, in other words, they really weren't in a condition to fight, they went in there and just slaughtered them all. And read what it says here. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul come not into their counsel. O my glory be not joined to their company, for in their anger they killed men, and in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it, was, it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. And look at the penalty. So that's why I told you, these are not all blessings. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Reuben loses the right of the firstborn, the privileges of the firstborn. Simeon and Levi, it is declared because of their cruelty, which is a sin of the spirit. So it's kind of an interesting balance. you got one a sin of the flesh, the other a sin of the spirit, and the Bible condemns them both. They were scattered. And, of course, Levi, in his eventual history, was scattered in a potentially more positive sense, but Simeon, I have the verse for you there in Joshua, and there are other things, we just don't have much time to do all this, but... The second lot, this is when the inheritance is being passed out in the land of Canaan. See, this, what Jacob is saying in this, in this chapter is basically the, the future of the 12 patriarchs. It's what's going to happen when they, they inherit the promised land. The second lot came out for Simeon, for the tribe of the people of Simeon, according to their clans, and their inheritance was in the midst of the inheritance of the people of Judah. They were dispersed. They sort of... I wouldn't go so far as to say they lost their tribal identity, but they, they, they were scattered. It's exactly like he says. Both those were scattered. 
So what, what point are we really driving at, folks? Well, I see lots of places in the Bible that give us the very same warning that I've been trying to communicate by giving you this background. Spiritual opportunity is not a guarantee of spiritual blessing. And you have all kinds of warnings in the New Testament. I'm going to just mention, go to 1 Corinthians 10. You have a whole chapter there that's basically, the first part of it is completely a, a, devoted to that. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But then he says, with all of them, God was not well pleased. And he cites four examples of disobedience in which even though they had all the spiritual privileges of the rest of them, they were punished accordingly. You can talk about 1 Corinthians 3 where it talks about rewards and there's wood, hay, and stubble. Or I've just drilled down to the one verse for us now because we've got to leave this. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what you have worked for but may win a full reward. Folks, let me ask you this. Would you agree with this statement? We have in this church, I'm just making it personal for us, a lot of spiritual privilege. you agree with that? Okay, I think that's really true. That's not a guarantee of spiritual blessing. The privileges are there. What you do with it in terms of your faithfulness and response to it is a different matter. You can grow up in a Christian home. You can have the benefit of a Christian school if that's what your parents feel is the right way to go. You can have been in a good church since you were old enough to understand cradle roll. That's a lot of spiritual privilege. It's not a guarantee of spiritual success. Okay, we have to leave. Blessings are often unexpected. This is, again, another surprise factor. So he's already had one big surprise when Jacob announces that he's going to adopt his two boys. (laughs) But now comes another surprise when he brings these boys out. His father says, who are these? By the way, remember Isaac's eyes were dim. You remember that? Now Jacob's eyes are dim. Very common in the Middle East, in that culture, in that day because of the bright, blinding sun. I often think to myself when I read this that what if those guys had been more like President Biden? If everywhere they went they had a pair of Ray-Bans on. So aviator sunglasses, you know. (laughs) I I knew you'd pick up on that, but I won't go any further. But they had the problems with this, and so surely he had cataracts, and he he (laughs) when he brings these boys out, though, he's fully expecting that if Jacob says he's going to bless them, he's going to bless Manasseh as the firstborn, and Ephraim next, it doesn't work that way. So he he positions them in such a way, okay, now I'm backwards from you. This is my left hand. So if I extend this directly out to the person in front of me, it's going to go on the one that's on... Joseph's right. So what what does he do? And vice versa over here. What does he do? When he he extends his hand to bless, he crosses over. He puts his left hand on the head of the oldest one, who's on 
that side where he would expect the right hand to go. He takes his right hand, which is the one for the blessing for the firstborn, crosses over to the head of Ephraim. How did Joseph or Jacob know to do that? Well, you know, there's no other conclusion but the fact that he derived that insight from God. You know, I'm going to say something to you since we're not studying Jacob as such, but I'll just throw this out. You know, Jacob, in these ending chapters of the book of Genesis, Jacob is at his best. And there's a sense in which there's a lesson in that for us, you know, because as you and I go through life, we should be overcoming those problems that have plagued us earlier in life. We should be maturing. We should be gaining a greater measure of victory. We should be in a position to pass along spiritual and wisdom and insight to our children and to those around us. And boy, Jacob is there. And he's walking closely enough with God that God has revealed this to him. This is the way it's going to unfold. And just as God revealed to him what he was to say to those boys in chapter 49, as his sons, as he, as he pronounced those things that he did. And the fact that he says, when you get down to verse 19, I, I really like this, uh, the human... The, the, the storytelling, as I've com, com, commented to you before, is consummate. When Je, jo, Joseph protests, his father says, no, I'm not changing. But he, but he puts this human element to it. I know, my son, I know. I understand where you're coming from. Because you're thinking according to normal human convention. This is normally how it's done. But have you ever noticed the time the number of times that God does things differently than what human convention dictates, which is one of the reasons you have to stay close to God because you've got to be sure that you're not just operating in human wisdom without consultation with God. And that's what happens in this case. In fact, look at this. This is kind of a startling thing. This happens now for the fourth time. Actually, if you go back further than the patriarchal stories, you can get more, because you could go back to Seth, and you could make an example of this. But this is the fourth generation. Look at it. So you've got, first of all, if you go back to Abraham, who was older, Ishmael or Isaac? Ishmael was, but Isaac was the, the child of promise. If you go back to the next generation, Jacob and Esau, it was said, the older shall serve the younger. Jacob, they were twins, but Jacob was younger. Esau didn't. And now Joseph and Reuben, it's happened here. Now it's going to happen in this fourth generation with Ephraim and Manasseh. Is there something to learn from this? Yeah, I think so. God says to us in Isaiah 55, verse 8, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. And my whole point to you folks is this. You know, human wisdom and God's wisdom are so often different. And blessings, so often in life, blessings come to us where they're least expected and through events that seem insignificant to us. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, when you look back at your life, little things you did that you didn't even think about. I mean, it might be something as simple as a track you left somewhere. Or maybe it was an incident that led to the tract or something like that. I know in my case, 
you know, I have three hunting tracks. Well, <laughs> I got started with that because I fell out of a tree and, and severely injured myself. And I wasn't, when I went in the woods that day, I wasn't really expecting to fall 18 feet out of a tree. And looking back on it, I have absolutely no reason to, I mean, I, I walked into those woods that day like I would have any other time. Walking with the Lord as best I know, I mean, I wasn't doing anything wrong. That's just something God had. And I don't understand all of it yet, but I do know that one of our men, who's in, was in his, one of, he was my assistant later, and he told me, he said, Pastor, you really should write a tract about this. It was true. I mean, every year when we had tract month at our church, and it got to the fall, and hunting is so big in Pennsylvania, and we grappled to try to find good hunting tracks to have to give people. So I, I had this little note on my desk for the longest time, write track. And I had several things on that list, and I just ignored it because I just... All the things that I had on that little list were all things I knew were good ideas. But for whatever reason, I just hadn't gotten around to it. And he kept pressuring me about that. And I know, I know, I know. And all of a sudden, I, I can't really explain this to you. Because I had walked in my office one day, and I said, it's time. I have to do this. And I sat down and wrote that tract. I've written two others since. And... I really don't know how widely those tracks have been used, but I know they've been used widely. And it's, um, who would have thought that a man gets a diagnosis of cancer in his eye, loses his eye, and becomes Patch the Pirate? You see what I'm talking about? God's ways of working are strange to us. But sometimes the biggest blessings come exactly that way. And it's so important for us to be people of prayer and stay close to him because human wisdom, there is a way, therefore, that seems right to a man. Can you finish the proverb? But the end thereof are the ways of death. We're often wrong. We don't have much time for this, but there's just too much here. You get into this chapter 49 now where you come to that distinct blessing that's going to fall to, to Joseph. And you look at this, he calls him, look at the figure of speech that he uses in verse 22. Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a spring. His branches run over the wall. There's no pronouncements of any ill tidings to come like for some of the other sons who were not so great in their character. This is all just, this is chapter 49, verse 22. It's all just lavish blessing. This sounds a lot like uh, the first psalm. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of waters that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. That's this imagery. It's fruitfulness. It's fruitfulness in spite of adversity. Because the tree being planted by the water, it doesn't matter if there's drought or whatever elsewhere. The tree flourishes and is fruitful despite the conditions around it. 
That's exactly what's portrayed here. Look at the next verse. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely. But you know, in all of that, Joseph was faithful. It's a point that's being made to us here, you know, because it seems like every time something goes wrong, especially if you read the news or you're in the press, every time something goes wrong, what's the first reaction we have? Got to figure out somebody else to blame. Usually it's Trump. Trump's, it's Trump's fault that that train derailed in East Palestine, Ohio. It's Trump's fault that SVB Bank failed. But you know, folks, and I, excuse me for using a political illustration, but it, everybody sees it, so it's just easy to use. I'm not commenting on President Trump one way or another. I'm just telling you, it doesn't matter what happens, he's to blame. Because it can't be me. And this is where we are so much, you know, I mean, things happen to us, legitimate things that are difficult. I'm not trying to downplay. Tough things happen to us in life. And then we kind of tend to give ourselves a little bit of a, an excuse and say, well, you know, if I hadn't had this, how are you going to stack up against Joseph? You don't ever hear anything like that from Joseph. I hadn't had this. In fact, the fact that he had that made him. So the point that we learn is, is that afflictions don't keep us from being blessed. It's usually our lack of faithfulness that's the problem. And I wish I had time to say more. Um, you, you see I'm skipping some of this material. I don't have much choice. Let's get to the fourth, uh, the fourth point. Blessings come from God. I want to show you something at the end of this that's just, I, I think when you kind of uh, focus back on Jacob for a minute. And we're talking about all these blessings, but where do they come from ultimately? They come from God. Look at the end of verse, Joseph was faithful, but where did Joseph get the strength to be faithful? And so he says, yet his bow remained unmoved, verse 24. His arms were made agile, how's that? By the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. Then he uses two other images for God, his shepherd, the stone. Stone is, a, is an image of security, refuge, and strength. If you read it by leaving out the parenthesis part, by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob, by the God of your father who will help you, by the almighty who will bless you with the blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that crouches beneath, Blessings of the breasts and of the womb, the blessings of your father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. Where do all these blessings come from? They come from the hand of God. Folks, this is touching. This is really touching that Jacob, I told you he's at his best. It's not the old Jacob that was interested in the spiritual blessing, but figured out a way to beat his brother out of it by taking advantage of a day he came in from hunting hungry and needed some of that soup. Remember that? That's in chapter 25. I have it there for you. Well, I can give you some of my soup. Good, too. 
Good suit. Sell me your birthright. What kind of way is that to go around? Especially when God had already said the elder will serve the younger. A little while later, his mama gets the bright idea. Hey, your dad says he's going to bless. I know he's going to bless Esau. You go out there and put on some of those clothes, like his clothes, like the clothes of a hunter. Because see, Jacob said, I'm going to get caught. This is a bad plan. I'm a smooth man. He's hairy. Oh, she said, that's not a problem. Just put on some of these things, and you know, he'll feel up there on your neck. He'll feel that. And you have those hunting clothes on. He'll smell the smell of the field. You know, everything will be good. Yeah, it was really good. When Esau found out about this later, he cried bitter tears, found no place of repentance, but was ready to kill him, ready to kill Jacob. So they had to send him off. He was gone for 20 years. Not sure that Rachel ever saw, I'm not sure that Rachel ever saw him again. Alive. Or the guy that saw that his relative Laban was kind of a, you know, played both ends against the middle and said, that's fine. Got the flocks over there, put out those pilled, you know, those skinned those things, used kind of some hocus pocus to try to be sure that they engendered the stronger. That's not this guy. This guy says blessings come from God, and we're a minute over. We've got to quit. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Dear Lord, bless us, especially we look forward to the service that will follow now. Even though we've had much more than we could really do here today, please allow something that's been said to be a blessing and help. In Jesus' name, amen.